NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Patty Hirsch. And I'm Waylon Wong. The government bond market is not usually a particularly exciting place. I mean, how unexciting? You can imagine the financial markets as a theme park. Yeah, over there, you've got the roller coaster with a 250-foot drop. That's the stock market. That bizarre-looking loop-the-loop thingy over there, that's junk bonds. And then there's that little mini railway that runs around the outside of the park with a driver in a funny hat. That is the government bond market. Safe, boring, dependable. If you invest in a U.S. government bond, also known as a treasury security, you are pretty certain to get your money back. The risk of that not happening is, like, microscopically small. Yeah, which is why the market in U.S. treasuries is so dull. Well, usually. As we've reported, over the last few weeks, the treasuries market has become one of the scariest places on Wall Street. That little kiddie railroad has turned into the screaming corkscrew of horrifying mayhem. Trademark. I didn't realize you are like a whole theme park operator over there. <laughs> the prices of some government bonds, in fact, a lot of government bonds, have whipsawed in the wake of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the decision by the Federal Reserve to keep increasing interest rates. Traders say the market's gone bonkers and they haven't seen volatility like this since the Human League's Don't You Want Me was top of the Billboard 100 in that hot, hot summer of 1982. What a throwback. Well, on today's show, we are going to look at the government bond market to find out how it got so wild so fast and what the implications of all that volatility might be for the rest of us. That's coming up after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. Atlassian. This message comes from KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients. Talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients, working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us slash transformation to learn more. The U.S. government bond market has built a reputation on being pretty much the most dependable, stable, and safe place on the surface of the globe to put your money. In the government bond space, we don't need to normally worry about credit risk. I mean, the U.S. government um, normally pays its debt. That's Priya Misra. She's head of global rate strategy at TD Securities. Note the word normally there. The U.S. was a little late with its payments a couple of times in 1979, but it did end up coughing up the money. And the message is that if you buy a U.S. government bond, you will, barring an apocalypse or a runaway fungal infection or something, get your money back. There is no risk. Well, not so fast. It's true that there is virtually no so-called credit risk. That's the danger you might not get your money back. But that sometimes fools people into thinking there's no risk at all. People thought of government bonds as risk-free. They're anything but risk-free. I mean, they are credit risk-free. You get your money back, but... But? There's always a but, isn't there? Yes, there is, on this corkscrew (laughs) mayhem, or whatever you called it earlier. (laughs) 
Yeah, buying a US government bond is kind of like welcoming a large cat onto your lap. It's nice and warm and cuddly, but let's not forget that the beast possesses razor-sharp teeth and hook-like claws. Handle it wrongly, and you could get badly mauled. We've talked a lot about the ins and outs of government bonds on past shows. Why? Because they're fascinating. But today, we're going to pull a lot of these points together. Yeah, and to help us understand how government bonds can be risky, not to mention frisky, we asked Priya to find us one issued during COVID. I mean, I'm seeing a really old, and this was issued in 2020. It was issued at the heart of the crisis when the Fed had already taken rates down to zero. There's a one and a quarter May 2050 bond. It's hilarious that two years old is old in this world, but that's the way it is with bonds. And as soon as a bond is surpassed by a new issue, it becomes old. So ageist, the bond market. <laughs> yeah, this is a 30-year bond, which means that in May of 2050, the holder will get their money back from the government, pretty much guaranteed, having received 1.25% in interest every year. That's like money on top of money. And what's more, government bonds are super liquid, which means they're really easy to sell, even quote-unquote old ones like ours. So where's the risk? Well, first risk, as we know, inflation. When that bond was issued three years ago, inflation was running at 1.2% annually. The bond has a rate of 1.25%, which means that back then it had its nose just above inflation. Not much, but at least it wasn't losing money. The buyer looked pretty smart. Today, if they were still holding that bond, they're not looking so hot. Inflation is running at 6%. The investment is now losing money in real terms every day. That 1.25% in interest is being gobbled up by inflation, like a cat devouring a mouse. With 20-20 hindsight, maybe it would have been better to invest in something else. The best investment last year was leaving your money in a money market fund overnight. So as the Fed raised rates, you earned the higher rates. Yeah, and this brings us to the second risk, opportunity cost risk. People who invest in treasuries may reduce their credit risk, but the cost of that certainty that they're going to get their money back is a low interest rate, a rate that risks getting creamed by other better investments that also have a low credit risk. Like that money market account that Priya mentioned. This is a kind of fund that invests in super liquid securities like treasuries, but is churning them, selling older assets and buying newer ones all the time. Oh, that endless pursuit of youth again. Yes, but for good reason. Those fresher bonds have had better returns. Money market funds are pretty much as secure as treasuries, pretty much as dependable. And thanks to that churn, they've lately been a much better money maker than our government bonds. That's an upset cat. Which brings us to the biggest risk of all when it comes to treasuries, and the one that we've seen roil the market these last few weeks, interest rate risk. Rates were low back in 2020, about as low as they ever have been. But then came the COVID recovery boom and the runaway inflation and the Fed's hiking interest rates, a quarter percent, a half percent, three quarters of a percent. Now, 30-year bonds are being sold with interest rates higher than 4%. Our per wee one and a quarter percent bond can't compete with that. I mean, sure, if you buy our government bond, you're going to get your money back in 27 years. But because the interest rate on it is so much lower than those new bonds, we're going to have to sell it pretty cheap. Hi, cheap Priya. I, I do have a Bloomberg terminal in front of me, so I can tell you in a second. But I would imagine like $70 price. So Ooh, that sounds pretty painful. And here we are. The bond I was telling you about is a one and a quarter May 50, May 2050 bond. That's trading at $57 price. $57? <laughs> that cat is furious. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. 
Bond traders and investors expect this kind of thing to happen. When interest rates rise, the price of bonds with lower coupons fall. It's the way of the bond world. What's freaking them out right now is the volatility that we've seen in the market lately, the wild swings in bond prices. There was a lot of volatility last year based on how much the Fed would raise rates. And the volatility this year is in terms of when do they stop? What's that terminal rate? And when do they go the other way? It all comes down to uncertainty about what the Fed might do and what might happen in the economy. As a result, bond prices have been all over the place. One minute they're down because people are ditching them, expecting rates to rise to combat inflation. The next, they're up as investors who are freaked out about the global economy look for a safe place to park their money. And this is bad news, not just for bond traders, for whom it's been like taking a nervous cat on a roller coaster ride, but for all of us. Priya says volatility in the bond market pervades every part of the economy. If volatility is high, it increases risk aversion. It makes people reluctant to make decisions. Companies reluctant to uh, have investment plans uh, go through. Companies don't know how much it's going to cost to borrow, so they don't take out loans. They don't buy equipment. They don't expand. They don't hire. Individuals can't decide whether to take out a mortgage now or wait until interest rates come down. So they don't buy houses or the things to put in houses. And lenders, well, they're going to charge you more to borrow. If you want a loan today, the bank that might be making you that loan or the investor that's giving you money might be a little more nervous because the recession looks more likely. They might charge you a higher spread over that. This is what Priya and her Wall Street pals call tightening conditions. And it's actually what the Fed wants, although it could do without the chaos. The Fed wants to cool the economy and to bring inflation back down. Making it more difficult or less palatable to borrow is a step towards that end. Of course, the big fear is that this tightening could push us into a recession. And right now, interest rates are signaling that a recession could be on the way. That signal? It's called the inverted yield curve. The inverted yield curve. Yes, it is. And you'll hear more on that tomorrow. This episode was produced by Noah Glick with engineering from Gilly Moon. Sierra Juarez checked the facts. BLE is a senior producer. Kate and Kennan edits the show. And The Indicator is a production of NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast, Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network. On the TED Radio Hour, in the middle school cafeteria, Ty Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, Why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Ty is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness, and he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR.